0: Chapter eight of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter eight Several Startling Points. Several bits of important conversation were indulged in by these people as they slowly and with many stops to admire sunset views made their way down the hills along the river path toward the depot. Among others was Mr. Durant's question. "'just as they reached a bit of level ground. "'Miss Wainwright, what do you want our government to do on the liquor question?' "'The answer came with the promptness of one who had been studying the subject. "'Want them to annihilate it.' "'So I supposed. What are you doing toward that issue? "'How many votes do you influence?' "'Miss Wainwright bestowed a searching look on him "'to learn whether this was nonsense or earnestness.' and seeing only a grave, interested face, remarked dryly, "'I thought I told you I was an old maid.' "'But that surely does not mean that you have no gentleman friends with whom your opinions, if they were carefully studied and earnestly expressed, have not more or less weight?' "'I don't know about that,' said Miss Wainwright thoughtfully. "'I have never said much about it to men.' It always seemed to me as though they thought they knew so much that it would be almost a pity if they should learn any more. But I have some good friends among the boys, and they'll vote one of these days. That's an idea, Mr. Durant. I believe I'll train them. I know some grand women who are at work at that very business, Miss Wainwright, training the boys of today to vote prohibition tomorrow. Buying up votes said Charlie Lambert, not with malicious intent, but purely for mischief, in order to see Miss Wainwright's grey eyes flash. But he was mistaken. They did not flash. She only looked at him with an air of grave reproof, and said, "'Charlie, you are too old for such a silly speech as that.' Whereupon everybody within hearing, even Mr. Durant, laughed." The hopeful thing about Charlie Lambert was that he joined in the laugh, though his color rose a little. The next bit was for Mildred Powers. She was close beside Miss Wainwright, and said hurriedly, the pink color on her face deepening a little, as one who was speaking with an effort, "'I heard you repeat a verse a little while ago, which I happened to read only this morning. Will you tell me if you think it means that one could really do everything with that motive in view?' Miss Wainwright looked down at the fair young face with a flash of special interest. "'Were you hit too, child, and by the very same words? That is a strange coincidence. I wonder if you and I are meant to join forces in any way in the work.' "'I didn't think so much of it at the time I read the verse,' said the truthful voice. "'But when I heard you quote it this afternoon, I remembered that it was the sentence I had read this morning. And I thought how strange it was. It seemed to say so much, and yet-and yet people are doing so little about it. I understand. Well, I can't give you much light, I'm ashamed to say. I've been professing to serve the Lord for a good many years, but it is as though I had just stumbled over that verse. I'm at work at it, though, and this Mr. Durant has set a light or two to twinkling on the road for me. I can see plainly enough why I was sent to this picnic this afternoon. I shouldn't wonder if I had received a notion of two or three things which could be used to his glory. I mean to try for it anyway. Why, yes, child, I can't see that the verse means anything else, only what it says. It is a verse for a lifetime, isn't it? You come and see me when I have had a chance to think, and let us talk it over together. Thank you, Mildred said, with a grateful light in her eyes. And then she was glad to be left standing by Mr. Durant, on guard over certain baskets, while some of the others went back for more. She had a word that she wanted to speak to him. A little timid she was about it. A great deal of this afternoon was new ground to Mildred Powers. He helped her, however, for he said, looking at his watch, "'I expected to be well on my way toward Chicago by this time.' Do you ever have your plans overturned for you, Miss Powers, and do you bear it with patience? Instead of answering the question, she asked, Do you speak in Chicago? And there was such eagerness in the tone that his special attention was arrested. Not on my way out, he said, but when I make my return trip in about three weeks, I expect to spend a week or more in that city. It is not your home, I think oh no sir i was never there but i have friends spending the winter there mr durant do you in your temperance work meet people and talk with them personally frequently constantly indeed i become interested in individual cases impressed you know that i may be able to help them and i seek them out and try a few moments of silence during which time Mildred tore into little bits the autumn leaves which young McLean had just given her. The flush on her cheeks deepening the while suddenly she tossed the bits into the stream at her feet and spoke with the resolution of one who had reached a decision mr. durant do you-do you suppose you could remember the name of one young man in Chicago, so that if you should meet him, you would know that you had heard something about him? i am very well drilled in remembering names and i carry special items connected with those names in my memory sometimes for years waiting opportunities to use them then i will tell you there is a mr airedale in chicago who i hope will meet you he is a bookkeeper in the wholesale house of mcgilpin and Company. he is in great danger i think he has made a promise something as you did not to his mother but to a friend but his natural tastes are bitterly against him, and he is proud and will not let his weakness be known. His family are blind to his danger. His own mother offers him home-made wines, though she knows that he is sorely tempted in that direction. He was fed on brandy for days and weeks when a child. It was a physician's prescription, you know. I do think the whole thing is so wicked, Mr. Durant, but I never knew before that there was anything to do. "'Anything that girls could do, I mean. Not until this afternoon when I heard you talk. I want to help, and I mean to try. I have never done a thing. All I thought I could do was to refuse to do some things. But I see ways of working or of trying now.' She was speaking rapidly, her whole face aglow with strong feeling, her eyes bright and her breath coming in little, excited waves, which showed that she was under the control of some strong emotion. Mr. Durant had taken out his notebook and was writing an address. "'Could you give me the business number of this Mr. Airedale?' he said. "'I am interested in him. I want to seek him out.' she named the street in number her eyes flashing him such grateful thanks that he told himself he should certainly try for that young man then she went on hurriedly there are reasons mr durant why i ought not to be mentioned in this connection i am not to hold communication with him in any way and this might seem to him almost like sending a message if he knew and i wouldn't wish to do that i mean mamma and she stopped in utter confusion, her eyes heavy with tears. "'I understand,' he said gravely. "'This is as between you and me about one of the sheep that you and I are bound to help back to the fold if we can, and it is not to be mentioned in any way save to the good shepherd himself. I hope to be in Chicago three weeks from to-night, and I will not forget this name. "'Am I right in my deductions, Miss Powers? Do you belong to Christ?' The tears were dropping quietly now. "'I think I do, Mr. Durant. Indeed, I may say I am almost sure that I do, but it is all very new to me, and I came to him through trial and darkness. Sometimes it seems to me as though I only sought him because I had nothing else, and that I was unworthy of his love or care.' She looked young to be talking about having nothing else, but Mr. Durant knew that the trials of young hearts were very bitter, and perhaps all the harder to bear because of their lack of the discipline of experience. He had just time for his reply before others joined them. There is a sense, certainly, in which we are all of us unworthy of his love or care, but we are always to remember this that he has chosen us for his own, that we have been bought with a price that we are held as infinitely precious in his sight, and that, therefore, we must set a high estimate on our own importance, and live accordingly. After that there was little time for talk. Somebody reported that the train had whistled at the station two miles below, and the various companies gathered their wraps and baskets, and made all speed toward the depot. Just across the ravine, also making rapid strides toward the train, was a party who had been with the company, but not of them, all the afternoon. These were five young men. Had you watched them, you would have observed that, while they seemed anxious to reach the train, they were also anxious to avoid close scrutiny from any others, that they slackened their pace as soon as they found themselves nearing any of the groups hastening in the same direction, and that one of them was receiving somewhat anxious assistance, his face being flushed and his step unsteady. It was this man whom Mr. Durant at last observed, and he halted to call across the ravine. "'Is your friend ill, gentlemen? Can we be of any assistance?' "'It is nothing of consequence, a sudden attack of dizziness. He will be all right presently,' called back one of the five, his face in a frown, and they noticeably slackened their pace." "'Mr. Durant still looked after them. "'The young man who spoke has a hard face,' he said. "'And it is a very youthful face, too. "'He can't be more than nineteen or twenty. "'I have not seen him before. Who is he?' "'Charlie Lambert looked about him to see who were within hearing "'before he replied in a low voice. "'He is a brother of Miss Josie Fleming, and a wild boy, I guess,' has the name of leading a set of fellows who are always in mischief. He is just about twenty. "'Do you know the young man whom they seem to be helping?' "'I did not notice,' said Charlie, glancing back. "'Why, I think I know him. He looks like one of the clerks at Morrison's. Hello, Lloyd, wait a minute. I thought you said Bruce did not come on this trip. "'He seems to be back there with Fleming's set, and they say he is sick.' "'Sick!' repeated Lloyd, who had been halted by his friend's call. "'Why, it can't be Bruce. He told me he wasn't coming, and I have seen nothing of him this afternoon. He would naturally have gravitated toward our party if he had been in the company.' Nevertheless, it was Ebon Bruce. And to tell you how he came to be of the party, I must return to the starting hour of the train.' You will remember that in a spirit of hauteur he had determined not to join the picnic party. Nevertheless, he was by no means averse to a half-holiday, such opportunities being rare in his experience. He had resolved to spend the afternoon in the office of a medical friend, looking up, in his library, facts about a certain organ which he was just now studying with interest. But the physician's office was closed and locked an unusual circumstance and in itself a very trivial matter that is apparently the trivial matters of this life would make a very curious study if one could trace them from their inception to the hour when their influence ceased to work in point of fact the doctor was not absent from his office ten minutes he merely stepped into the office around the corner to watch a game of cards which was being played He told himself while he stood there that this was his office hour and he ought to go, and he told himself he should go in ten minutes. He would just like to see whether Jones would beat after all. And during that ten minutes, Bruce came and shook his door and departed disappointed. There was no physician in town save this young one, with whom he felt on terms of sufficient intimacy to sit in his office and study a medical work. Had the young doctor known of this, he would have said that it was of no consequence, that Bruce could come at another time just as well. And Bruce, disappointed, yet told himself the same thing, and said he would go back in half an hour or so and try again. He would really like to get that point worked up before the night for the discussion. At that moment out of her door fluttered Miss Josie Fleming in her light silk and delicate gloves. He was slightly acquainted with her, and she greeted him with a smiling face. It seemed quite natural that at the corner he should resolve to extend his walk in her direction. She was pleasant enough. In her direction lay the depot, and she was going to the picnic, and she urged his attendance, assuring him that it would be just lovely at the falls. He wavered in his decision. Why not go and have a holiday with the rest? but on the platform of the station was Mr. Cleveland, walking back and forth waiting for the arrival of his wagon, loaded with baskets and pails for the lunchers. Miss Fleming admired the aristocratic-looking and supposed-to-be fastidious stranger, and quite turned her back on the young clerk, who was aware that his boots were not of the latest cut, nor of the finest material, and was as sensitive about all those things as a girl." he was not acquainted with mr cleveland and miss fleming did not introduce him and he presently went around to the other side of the building and assured himself that he was a first-class fool for trying to push himself into society that felt itself too grand for him just at that moment appeared fred fleming his handsome face aglow with fun it was a handsome face although it was a hard one there were possibilities in it either for good or evil and when he laughed and his bright eyes twinkled with good feeling one not deeply read in life would not be likely to notice that the evil in it was gaining the ascendancy young bruce knew him he had met him in that very room from which his friend the doctor was just now bustling away and it was his friend the doctor who had introduced them one evening Having taken him around to watch a game. I don't play myself, the doctor had said. But I like to watch a game now and then, to see what will come of it. That Fred Fleming plays too well for a boy of his years. If he belonged to me, I should be afraid that it would get too deep a hold on him. And then he had stood beside him and watched the game, and cheered a little at his good luck but the young doctor was a very moral man a member of the church and rarely touched cards halloo had fred fleming said the moment he caught sight of the young man here's another come on boys we'll kidnap bruce and then there will be five of us i told you that four was an unlucky number i say bruce we are in for a lark we are bound to shock all the good-temperance people to-day this is a regular sunday-school affair this picnic with all the naughty things as well as all the naughty people left at home. At least that is what the nice good men and women hope and believe. Now we are going along to stir them up a little, and give them a chance to exercise some of the Christian virtues. You join us and we'll have a jolly time. End of chapter 8